0: The title of today's message is The Man in the Mirror. And we're going to be looking at back into James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 there, if you want to turn there in your Bible. And I try to live an open and honest life before you, so I have a confession to make this morning. I fight an endless battle against this stumbling block that I deal with almost on a daily basis. And I just kind of want to confess that to you, and because it really slows down getting my day going. It's kind of an endless frustration that I have to deal with every morning. And it's when I get out of the shower and I go to try to shave, and the, f- and the mirror is completely fogged. I struggle against this every morning because you can't shave. I know that, you know, the women looking at me going, what do you mean you can't shave? Well, a guy has to actually see where he's shaving, particularly if you have a goatee that you don't want to pick a big chunk out of. so Or a mustache that you want to make sure is trimmed, and, and all that kind of manscaping stuff we do to try to make ourselves look good. God hasn't given me the best canvas on earth, but I try to paint on it the best as I possibly can. And, you know, you, you wipe it off, and it fogs right back up. Somebody told me, well, if you rub it down with toothpaste, that'll work. Well, that was a mess. I think they were just trying to play a joke on me or something. Um, I've tried anti-fog wipes. I've tried everything, and that thing fogs up. I can have the exhaust fan on. I can have the door open. And it just fogs up every morning. Any other men have this problem? I shave first. You shave first? Yeah, I can't. My My beard's too rough. I'll rip up my face. But... It's just kind of a humorous way to start off today's message, but it's pretty significant to the general idea of what Jesus's little brother, James, is trying to convey here. And I want to draw attention to the way that this scripture is laid out here, it, because James is writing in a very unique, but a very Hebrew way, in that he states a truth. He then defends the truth through an illustration that everyone can understand and then restates the truth at the end. As I said, this is a very Hebrew way. This is a way that rabbis would teach. And this is exactly the way Jesus or excuse me, James's older brother Jesus used to teach, and he would teach in a very similar way. So when we read this scripture, I kind of want you to see exactly the way that he is teaching here. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What he does. If any one of you thinks that he is religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom of your little brother James. So practical, so basic, and yet so important for us to understand. If we want to walk successfully before you and in such a way, Lord, that glorifies you and accomplishes the mission for which you have put us on this earth, which is to save as many people as we can and to make disciples of all men. So, Lord, be with us this morning. Help us to see the incredible truths in this section of Scripture and help it to change the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, Lord. Father, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to spend some time this morning dissecting this passage of Scripture because there's a wealth of truth that we're going to be able to glean from it. James begins by stating both the image and character that a follower of Jesus should be showing to the world that will represent the righteousness of God. You see it starting here in verse 19, that he gives three imperatives that distinguish a heart that is controlled by God versus a heart that is controlled by the world and controlled by our human nature. He says, be swift to hear. We want to be a people that are willing to listen to other people, that will be patient with other people. Even when other people come and say things that are just absolutely dumb. I mean, we have people in the world that'll come up and say things that are just really, really stupid. There's no other way of putting it. It's just, you look at them and you go, do you have like connections in your brain that you're hearing what is coming out of your mouth right now? And and the reason that people talk like this is because they're just under the deception of this age, yet God gives us that kind of a patience that allows us to be swift to hear, to be able to sit down and listen to what this person is saying. And And because he gives us that, that means that we are slow to speak, that we will listen to everything that they say and be able to then respond with wisdom. I remember once I was... I was listening to a person at a, a church that we used to go to and they just went on and on for like an hour, just various topics over here, various topics over there and they were talking about a lot of the struggles they were and I just sat there and listened and I listened intently. I listened to everything they said and then at the end of it, they came out and they said, well, after you know saying all that, I guess that I should just do this, shouldn't I? And I said, Yep. And he said, you really didn't have to say anything. You just had to be willing to listen to me. I said, yep, you just need to figure this out for yourself. I can't tell you what to do. If I tell you what to do, you're not going to do it. But if you come to the realization through the Holy Spirit that that is what you're supposed to do, then you will be much more likely to do it than me just pointing a finger and say, thus saith the Lord, that's what you should do. You need to come to that kind of truth on your own. And in doing so... You need to be very patient with people and be very slow to anger and very slow to wrath. So you don't get angry. People may come up to you and call you names. People may may be just very rude to you, very condescending to you. You need to be slow to wrath. Remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the powers and the rulers in the dark world that is going to try to use somebody who may not know Christ to, dissu- to take your eyes off of Jesus and have you react in a very human way. Sometimes he even uses people that are in the church to do that. And you have to be very patient and very slow to anger and wrath. James then ends this thought with the importance of controlling our tongue and controlling our words. And we're not going to get very deeply into the power of that this morning because that's a whole separate message we're going to have in a couple of weeks. But instead we're going to focus on how we can allow the Word of God to do its job in our lives. And that job that it is doing in our lives is to show the power of God as He is changing us, as He is shaping us, as He is molding us into the image of His Son. And you're going to see that through the changes that happen in our hearts, the ability to love those who aren't very lovable. You're going to see a different attitude that you bring to this world. You're going to see it through a mindset that is a positive mindset, that is looking up and saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if my house falls down. It doesn't matter if my car gets stolen. It doesn't matter if somebody kicks my dog. It does not matter. I'm going to keep my mind on Jesus, and I am going to exist in joy regardless of my circumstances. That's what that kind of vision and that kind of mindset is going to show the world. And the way that we allow this change in our hearts is by gazing at God. And one of the ways that we gaze at God is through his word, the Bible. Amen? And when we gaze at it with a clear vision, we can learn to live and think and love like Jesus. But one of the things that cloud the ability of God to do its job, that fog on the mirror, so to speak, is that there are several different things that that create that fog in our lives. And it keeps the Bible from being able to reflect back at us who we really are. And it fogs that ability to allow the Word of God to penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It It keeps it from judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts because we can't see ourselves for who we really are because of this fog that's over the mirror of the Word. James gives us three action points to ensure that the reflection that God gives us is not fogged up by life or by the things of this world that can easily distract us from our devotion to Him and His kingdom. And we see those specifically in verse 21. And the first action that James tells us to do is to lay aside. To lay aside all filthiness and all wickedness. And when we bring up the necessity for holy living, when the pastor stands up here and says, Live holy, it sounds like it's live holy or else. Live holy or you're going to hell. Now, that is not technically, theologically correct if you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, you have given your heart to Jesus. There has been a transaction that has been made that has forgiven you of your sin yesterday, today, and forever as long as you stay connected to this vine. Now, I'm not preaching a sloppy Christianity. I'm not preaching that it's all grace and you can do whatever you want. Because Jesus said, if you love him, if you really are in this vine, you will obey his commandments. That is what he is saying. And I don't want to, again, sound like I'm saying that we are to live a sloppy Christianity. We are to live holy lives. But we are saved only through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Period. That is the only thing we can come to God before. If, God, if we end up standing before God today and He says, Why should I let you into my heaven? The only thing you're going to be able to say is because Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I accepted His suffering, death, and resurrection. And he is mine, I am his, and that is the only thing that can pay for my sins. Because if I start saying there, well, I'm a pastor in your church, God. Or, you know, that guy that, that didn't have enough money in the line the other day, I gave him a buck to pay for, help him pay for his stuff. Yeah, yeah that, should, that should be enough, right? That, God's going to look at me and say, go away from me, cursed. Go into, the, into wrath. Because if I start proclaiming myself before him, that's pride. And that shows an unregenerate heart before him. The reason that we live holy is because it answers the question that the world is always unconsciously posing to the church. Who do you really serve? Is this just some type of self-help group that makes you feel good every Sunday Or is this something that is really going to change you? Is this something that really makes a difference in your life? Is this something that creates within you a different breed of people? Or is it just something that you punch on a spiritual time clock once a week? And it's the vein that I want to approach this idea of laying aside all filthiness and wickedness. If you're claiming to be a Christian this morning, your overwhelming heart's desire should be to honor Christ in every part of your life. Now we are all in different levels of maturity. We are all different steps and different levels of maturity in this room. Some people have great victory over here and struggle over here, yet the person who who has the great victory over here may struggle over here. And God has a specific plan for each one of our lives, and he's going to continue to grow us and continue to mature us according to his time and according to his will. Because it has to be specific. We're all different people, and you can't create a cookie-cutter maturity plan for Christians. It's just, it just won't work. We want to be obedient to his nature. We want to have a heart's desire to run after him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we live up to his standards and live up to his character. You know, the world looks at Jesus as kind of just a person who is a a wise man, gave us some good ideas and how to live life, they try to take the, the teachings of Jesus in little snippets, kind of like something you put in a fortune cookie or something, and say, well, as long as you do these things, he'll probably be okay. But what the world doesn't understand is that the teachings of Jesus were so radical, so provocative, and so serious, it drove the religious leaders of his time Crazy. I mean, normally holy men, people who lived righteously. You remember, Paul was one of these men. And he lived such a way that he could say and put it in the Bible that when it came to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I lived completely clean before God. And yet a man like that and other men like that got so infuriated with the teachings of Jesus that it it, it drew them to conspire against him to even secretly bribe one of his disciples and to murder him because of what he taught. That's some pretty serious stuff right there, isn't it? Jesus is very serious about his followers living lives that glorify God. Imagine, for a moment, let's just take a quick trip back about 2,000 years. This is, we're just going to look at one of Jesus' teaching here. Think, you, you know, you're living at home, You're outside with your friends, you're playing their version of cowboys and Indians, which would probably be Egyptians versus Hebrews. And you're outside playing with your friends and your parents call you in and say, hey, 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 we're going to go and listen to this rabbi teach. And you're like, mom, dad, it's not Saturday. Why do we have to go to synagogue? Oh, no, 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 we're not going to go to synagogue. We're going to walk 10 miles over to this mountainside where he's supposed to be teaching and we're going to listen to him. Oh, man, and you're sitting here, you know, you're trudging down the road and you're thinking, oh, all I'm going to hear is I can't do this and I have to give this offering and I already know Torah and I'm going to have to listen to it again. And, you know, I kind of already know this. You know, my bar mitzvah is in a couple couple weeks here and, and everything. And, I'm I, you know, but OK, I'll go. Mom and dad said and the commandments say honor your father and mother and you're trudging down the road. And you're going to say, this guy's not going to really have anything new for me, but I'll go. And so you you get there. And as you approach, you see a whole bunch of people gathered around him on the side of this mountain. And as you walk up, you hear him start telling the crowd, but you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. You're thinking, yep, yep, that's a commandment. That's good. But I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Like, what? what, what? I thought it was just, the way I, I can't do it. But it continues. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you for it is more profitable for you for one of your members to perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Did he just say what I think he just said? And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. you imagine it was probably look kind of like, what? He's telling me to, what? We think that Jesus is like this really soft kind of cuddly guy. He's pretty radical, isn't he? That is his opinion of sin. Now Jesus here is addressing things that are sin and, and therefore forbidden. And in our struggle against fulfilling the desires of our sinful nature, we start to resent God sometimes for denying us something that we think will give us pleasure, we think that will give us comfort, or we think that will give us some type of, of, of fulfillment in our lives. But what we forget is that these things in this life that don't under that don't honor God, things that both He has told us is sin, and things that are might be kind of those questionable things that people argue about, that He He tells us you know to avoid them because He knows that a it will hinder our spiritual growth. Many of us struggle with sin because we have never progressed beyond the infancy in our faith. Generally, this is caused from a lack of discipline when it comes to prayer, studying the Bible, and avoiding things that God says no to. We live sloppy lives. We don't discipline ourselves to do the things that is required to grow. It would be like saying that I want to go and compete as a runner in the Olympics and you never get off the couch. People are like that in the church where they say, I want to grow in Christ, but I'm not going to come to church. Or maybe I'm going to come to church once in a while. Or maybe I'm going to, you know, I'll read my Bible or or maybe a little small devotional once a day, but I won't actually pick this up and study it. I won't actually take the word of God and study it and memorize it and let it study me in the process. Other things that sin and and those questionable things do is they cause us pain and heartache and trouble. The thing that we forget about sin is it always, always separates. Sin always separates. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in my own life where I've fallen into some type of sin and it's messed up a relationship with somebody and especially my relationship with God is it starts to draw you away from the things of God, either through guilt or because you like this thing too much and you don't feel like you can come back to God. That is the goal of sin, is always to separate you. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in my life in the lives of my co-workers, neighbors, and friends that have allowed sin, both public and secret, to flourish in their lives. And sooner or later, there is a concrete law in the Bible. You reap what you sow. If you sow into the sinful nature, you will always reap pain, heartache, trouble, and potentially separation from God. Because if left unchecked, it will draw us away from God and it will shipwreck our faith. Nobody here or nobody even listening to the podcast, is exempt from this law. You cannot plant corn and expect wheat to come up. And that's what too many people try to do with sin, is they they sow into this sinful nature and expect a crop of righteousness. And how many times have a high-level person in a church publicly gone through a situation like that, that has brought great shame to the gospel and to our king that is why jesus is so serious about this situ- about when it comes to the eradication of sin in our life and that is why his little brother tells us to lay aside all filthiness and all wickedness but he doesn't just tell us to do something and walk away. He doesn't just you know, jump up on the thing and say, Repent, sinner! And then walk away and tell you not how to do it. He gives us some um, ways that, that we can leave these kind of things behind and grow into things of God. He tells us to receive the Word. Which means, as I said, you have to study the Word. It is an active process. Reading, studying, praying through the scriptures is essential to our growth and life in God. This is not just a New Testament idea. This is not something that the 12 apostles and Jesus came up with. This has been a basis of the faith since the first scriptures were written down by Adam. And passed on through his family to Abraham, who wrote, or to Noah, and then to Abraham, and through Isaac, and who kept writing these scriptures down and these truths down all the way until we have this book that we have before us now. It has always been part of the faith, whether it was called Judaism or Christianity. It was even part of the Hebrew statement of faith. And they are required, by the way, if you are a observant you, you are required to pray this prayer that we're going to read that is found in the Bible morning, sometimes noon, and at night. And it's the basis for the great commandment that Jesus gives his followers. And you can see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands. You shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I took this very seriously a few years ago in Kenosha when I was reading this scripture and meditating on it and I actually went and printed out the 10 commandments and I hung them all over the house and my wife my wife's like what are you doing these things are all over the house are you trying to say that I'm not honoring one of these and and everybody was getting self-conscious dad you're posting these all over the house are you trying to say that we're doing something and it wasn't for them it was for me because I wanted to everywhere I looked in my house to just stare and meditate and the Ten Commandments as the perfect law of God and the perfect way that we can experience joy in our life to look at these, to meditate upon them, and to obey them. Another way to let the Word dwell within you is your prayer life. You know, we invite the Word of God to infill us When we read this word, this word is the Logos word of God. This is the written word of God, the Greek word Logos. And the Bible has two different words for it. The other one is Rhema, which means the spoken word of God. Well, how how do I hear God? Because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have the very person of Jesus Christ who is the Word of God. The rhema speaking to you as you continue to walk with Him, as you continue to mature in Him, as you continue to strain to hear His voice while ignoring all the noise that this world will throw upon you. And we have this through the infilling of the Holy Spirit when we're saved and the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you have so received it. And taking in the word, both the rhema word and the logos word is important because it's our spiritual food. And the reason that the church is so weak in this country is because they are spiritually anorexic. Because they refuse to eat of the word of God. Jesus said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. You are to eat of me. You are to to engulf this word. To devour it. It said that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that word there is rhema. That God speaks to you through his word, through this Bible, definitely. But what he's speaking about is also hearing from the word of God. I remember once I was in a church service and we had a, a person with a prophetic gift come in. And I was, at, I was at one of those points in my life where I was just exhausted. I'm doing, you know, I'm working on an ambulance. I'm doing ministry in my church, volunteer. I'm teaching and I'm doing all these things and I'm really running myself ragged. And now my pastor is asking me to be at all three of these services for this guy. So I, I took time off from work so I could help out. And I'm doing things like altar ministry and, and all these kind of things and helping to pray for people, running the all the technology and all this kind of stuff, ushers. I'm just doing all these kind of things. And so I'm running around while the service is going on, making sure everything's working. And I get to the end and the service stops. And I'm just, I'm thinking... Now I got to go to work tomorrow on the trade, and I'm going to work a 36-hour th- shift, and it's like 11 o'clock at night now, and I have to be up at five in the morning, and I'm, and I'm kind of just grumbling to myself, going, "Oh man, I'm just tired. I just want a good night's sleep, and I'm not going to get it. And it's going to be busy tomorrow." And I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this, and the guy with this prophetic gift stopped me. He said, "You know, I've been here for three days, and I've watched you run all over the place. I've watched you make sure that." nothing happened to to take people's eyes off of what was going on at the altars wherever somebody needed help you needed help you were there to help you were organizing things he goes i really appreciate that and i have a word from the lord for you and i was like and i'm thinking oh, great now i got to sit here and be <laughs> and he's and he's going to want to pray for me and it's going to take like an hour and all this kind of thing But he just said two sentences and it was like my heart just went And I was refreshed. I was re-energized and refocused on God. Just like that. And it was a rhema word from God. That living word of God that came in and illuminated the written word of God in such a way that I never saw before. I don't even remember now but it was just so incredible that it just totally refocused me and he looked at me when I was done and he could see, you know, the tension and the stress and the exhaustion just leave my face and he goes and he said that's what you needed you have been so busy in your life that you have not stopped and listened to God so many times in life we all get to that point in life we get so Busy and I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. Most of you know the kind of schedule I keep, and but sometimes you just need to take that time off and sit in silence. You know, I'm getting to the point in our house where if the TV's on, it's because we have a a smart TV and it's playing soft, instrumental Christian music, and I just sit there sometimes and just close my eyes and just sit in the presence of God. I don't have to talk. I don't have to read. I don't have to do anything. I just sit in the presence of God and just let his presence take all that stuff away. Amen. And I've learned the longer I live and the longer I walk with Jesus, just how important that is in my life because that is our food. And I don't want to be spiritually anorexic. I can't be spiritually anorexic as a pastor And expect to be able to come in here every Sunday and give you guys your food for the week. The word of God is also like Windex to the mirror of our hearts. If we allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction through scripture, he can take then take that word and this word as we read it, and the word that he speaks to us. And he kind of just takes Windex and he's like, cleaning this window so that when we look at the word, we don't have sin, we don't have selfishness, we don't have busyness, we don't have exhaustion, fogging our view of who God is and who he wants us to be as we read this word. He wipes the fog of this world away so that our thoughts, attitudes, and heart desires are laid bare before the king. And the king can either bring correction or just simply put his arms around us and let us experience his love and mercy again. The third way that James exhorts us to grow in God and to show his nature and character to the world is by doing the word. What is doing the word? It's obedience. One word, it's obedience. And obedience has come almost a curse word within the church. Like we just want to exist in the grace of God, but we don't want to obey. Well, you can't have one without the other. Grace comes with it, an expectation of obedience. You can't possibly accept the grace of God as a freely given gift and then not open the gift and live in that gift. And with that gift comes the desire and want to obey. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a heart's desire that says, I know I'm not perfect, but whatever I do, I strain on toward that goal that is in Christ Jesus. And I continue to look and run and strain toward it. You know, many of us forget that we're at war. I'm not talking about a war against radical Islam, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Russia, any nation on this earth. We are in a war. And this enemy that we're at war with is not a a courageous enemy at all. He doesn't come and attack us in the daylight. He's not like a Marquis of Queensberry who comes up with a little glove and goes, I challenge you to a duel. No, he comes very insidiously He's a terrorist, and he attacks us when we're at our weakest. He attacks us when we're at our most comfortable. He attacks us when our guard is down and when we least expect this. And he is so insidious in his tactics because he dangles this promise of pleasure, this promise of fulfillment, this promise that, that this is going to make you feel so much better. All the while in back of him, he has a dagger of guilt, of pain, remorse, and death behind his back that as soon as you reach out and grab it, he plunges that into your heart and tries to kill you spiritually. Christ, or excuse me, God described this problem early in humanity's existence when jealousy was running wild in a man named Cain. You remember this story. Cain and Abel are brothers. They bring a sacrifice before the Lord. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain's is not. Cain gets angry. God sees that he's angry. God sees that jealousy starting to well up within him. And he tells him, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at your door and its desire is for you. But, but you should rule over it not only should you rule over it, you can rule over it because you have the God of the Bible, the God of holiness living within you. So when Satan is knocking on your door, you should just say, Jesus, could you please answer that for me? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Tammy, if you want to come back up. Jesus' bold little brother showed us all these practical steps to do that, to rule over our sinful nature. Laying aside anything, sinful or just not useful, in our walk with God. Receiving the word, studying, meditating, speaking it, memorizing it, allowing it to feed our spirit and make us more like our king. Doing the word, which is the fruit of laying aside the sin and receiving the word. The want, the desire to do the things of the kingdom, the desire and want to be obedient to the king and seeing his will and his mission done on this earth. So when you open this book, what reflection are you seeing? When it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and touches you at your deepest parts of your soul, what does it expose? Now, if you took a picture of your current reflection of this mirror, you take out your smartphone, you're standing in front of this mirror, you snap a picture, post it online, what would the world think? What would they think about that man or that woman in the mirror? Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the words of your bold little brother, James, who was so practical in his application of grace, who was so faithful in the ministry of his big brother that he even gave his life for it. So, Father, I ask, Lord, as we go back in to this time of worship, that you would help us to do what James instructed us, to lay aside anything, not only sinful, the sinful stuff is obvious, but there are things in life that just are simply not useful in our walk with God. Help us to be willing to lay those aside as well. And those are individual, those are individual to each person here. And you are speaking to people right now about those things. Give them the heart and the courage to choose your will and not theirs. And help us to do the word, Lord. Help us to be so focused on doing the work of the kingdom that all those other things, those questionable things and sin just grow strangely dim because we are so focused on you. We are so in your word. We are so on our knees. We are so living in your presence that none of those things have any type of hold on us, and we have no desire to even walk anywhere near them anymore. So Lord, as we enter back into this time of worship, give us that kind of spiritual desire to lay aside all things that would cause us to stumble so that we can run before you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you for tuning in to the White Hall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of White Hall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly, in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I'd just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days father i commit them to your care now in jesus name amen god richly bless you